In a faraway slice of the Megaverse, the inhabitants of Blova are preparing for a mission to a mysterious, primitive planet. What they find there will change the course of their history forever. And maybe yours, too. Put on some headphones and harness the power of your imagination with the illustrated podcast, Flovatar, a dust odyssey. Inside Nostalgic Electronics, a wave of dread swelled through the Flovans as they prepared to meet another unknown threat. Slowly, the group turned to the terrifying source of the thundering voice that welcomed them. Finish him! The merciless demand bellowed from behind a dark cloak, and Fasco jumped an inch off the ground. Whatever this monster, human or otherwise, it was nearly twice her height from the looks of it. Finish? Who? squeaked Fasco, looking around cautiously from behind Floyd. Gellin positioned himself in a battle stance. It's you that'll be finished. I knew this place was dangerous. Show yourself! You weak, pathetic fool! What did you call me? Gellin shouted, running toward the caped, boxy figure. He yanked at the curtain and unveiled a large cuboid with flashing colored lights like a droid in need of servicing. A screen showed two ancient humans looking primed to injure each other. Or maybe kiss each other. A slinky water creature was painted gold down the length of the machine's side, and two small slots with glowing 25-cent indicators sat below various buttons and knobs. Franklin's head turned sideways as Nick walked up to the noisy box and examined it before disappearing behind the machine. All the lights and sounds ceased. Paul snorted and swatted Gellin on the back. <laughs> nice one, bub. You're about to fight a flashy sluice dispenser. It's actually some sort of fighting simulator, said Franklin, approaching to push buttons and twist dials with a tiny bit of glee. What in the flark do these earthlings need a fighting simulator for? Fasco puzzled, pulling out her philosophy. Combat like that is illegal. Maybe that's why it has this noisy toys. Paul spoke through the arm he held to his face to filter the smell. Blowing off a little steam isn't illegal. The smell should be, though. This place is disgusting, isn't it? He swallowed back some sick. The others looked at each other, communicating the lack of an offensive stench. The apple-scented air freshener, mixed with the creeping smell of smoldering, amalgamated in a pleasant, cider-like fragrance. You still smell it, Paul? Can you describe it to me? Franklin whipped out her hover digipad, ready to take notes. Really, 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 Frank. He muffled through his elbow. On a scale of one to ten? Four hundred and twenty. Franklin sighed. Can you give a detailed description? This could be important. Paul squeezed his eyes shut and braced for a breath. He allowed in the smallest amount of unfiltered air and gagged. Have you ever been unfortunate enough to smell a rotten slugweed left in the moist, heated base of a cloud tech generator? I can't say I have. Well, it's like that. If it was sewn into a psyche like his leg and left to fester in Nevada, seriously out of date slush. And then someone dumped that slush on your head. Fasco chuckled, remembering her unfortunate accident before this morning's launch. Then she sighed and unconsciously rested an arm on Floyd. Home seemed an impossible distance away. Hmm. Okay, I'll mark that down as a 10.5, Franklin muttered while tapping the screen in her hand. Is the smell stronger in any particular place? Franklin continued, not looking up from her notes. Yeah, 
up your... Paul, we're trying to help you, Galen barked. Paul braced himself and walked around the room until he reached a lineup of vintage tech on display behind a glass case. He frantically gestured before rushing outside to vomit. The others peered into the glass case, equal parts captivated and bewildered. Inside was a row of various devices, clearly modded past their original conditions, and according to the play cards in front of each device, they were ordered by year of invention. Franklin read them aloud. Atari 2600, NES, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, original Game Boy, PlayStation, N64, Game Boy Color, Xbox, GameCube. I, I believe that's pronounced Cube. interjected Gellin. Okay, genius. How do you pronounce this next one? She clapped back. Why? I think it's we, Nick muttered. Oh, that's just silly. Gellin shrugged his shoulders. Where's the original Game Boy? It's the only one missing. While the Flovins were staring, Fasco noticed signs over the case. Big, bold, uppercase signs. Do not open. Do not touch. Ask for assistance. Outside, Paul leaned against the brick wall and inhaled the smells of the sticky leaves from his broken glass artifact once again. They seemed to be losing their potency, but still worked to mask whatever was assaulting his nostrils. He kept his cherry red eyes peeled toward the dark corners of the alley. Unlike the clearly benign tech store, these streets could hold real danger. A familiar feeling crept into his subconscious. His rough exterior had been shaped by years of survival on Dome 16 back on Flova. Limited supervision from the Council and Flova Labs meant freedom to set up secret dive bars and other operations. It also meant chaos in terms of hierarchy and rules. You looked out for yourself on Sphere 16, or no one would. As the leaves began to take hold on his mood, he pulled out his Philosophlow for the first time and pointed it at the colorful glass artifact. The Avatar informed him that what he had been inhaling was called Pineapple Dreams, akin to slime crystals. The strain that the young scientist smoked in secret after long days at the lab. He let out a deep belly laugh until he was in tears. He had somehow found earth drugs. Using his multi-pen, he applied a touch of fire to the glass and inhaled the smoke. His head rolled back onto the brick wall, and for a moment, all his worries ceased. Back in the store, Gellin broke the silence. Well, what's wrong with these things? They discussed theories about why Paul could be having a reaction to the stench of the tech. They needed to get inside the glass case to investigate further, but it was locked. Not with a normal lock that Franklin could open with her multi-pen, but a passcode. Franklin rolled up her arms and approached the lock. Okay, there are ten numbers here, and I think we'll need four of them in a specific combination to open this thing. That means ten thousand combinations. We'll start with... Fasco coughed, then spoke up. Um, am I the only one who knows how to use this droid? She glanced back at the warning signs over the case and repeated the commands aloud to Floyd. Do not open. Do not touch. Ask for assistance. Floyd crouched like a mining droid and navigated the store floor to open and touch as he was just ordered. He proceeded to shove his arm through the glass and grab something from the N64. Nick winced. Careful! That could be toxic. Floyd, touch everything and don't sit down. Fasco abruptly commanded. He stopped and sat at once. Fasco smiled with the most confidence she had ever had in her life 
and took a small cartridge from Floyd's hand. On its label, an incredibly handsome human pointed some sort of earth weapon straight ahead and the number 007 can be seen partially rubbed off from years of use. Now that, said Gellin, looks like the kind of guy I'd love to have on our side. No nonsense from him. Strictly business. Let's test some of these things for radiation, dangerous pathogen levels, and... Franklin proffered. Crime? Fasco interjected, staring at the other gadget's tech mods. All this stuff has to be breaking some laws. Paul is not allergic to crime, laughed Gellin. Maybe it's how old they are? Dust. Nick interrupted. Test for dust. Hmm. Now that you mention it, that is what the two locations have in common. Franklin mused, slowly looking up to face Nick. He yawned. It was nearly midnight, but she wouldn't let them stop now, or this problem would keep her up all night. Franklin pulled out her dust detector, and together with Nick and her philosophlo, devised an experiment involving three different objects from the store. They selected some copper coins from an ancient cash register, a half-full bottle of hand sanitizer, and the Game Boy Color. An initial scan established that all the items were safe from pathogens and radiation. Franklin then activated the dust detector, pointing it first at the rusted coins. The screen on the reader stayed gray and read zero specs. She then moved on to the hand sanitizer, and the counter didn't budge. She made a note on her digipad as she read the ingredients list on the bottle. Finally, she moved to the Game Boy, and the counter glowed green, shot up to a whopping 32 and the detector became oddly warm, so it wasn't the age of the object or its chemical makeup that was making Paul sick. It was time to verify the dust theory. She sent Gellin out to retrieve Paul for the moment of truth. Be gentle, cautioned Nick. He's clearly suffering right now. Gellin came back in with Paul, who looked the exact opposite of someone suffering. He was positively grinning through his green dreadlocks. Paul, we need you to smell these three items in turn and give us a smell rating for each one. Franklin instructed. No can do. His grin widened. I figured out the trick with the stuff they call tangerine dreams. When I inhale it after lighting it, the earth funk magically goes away. Problem solved. Now, does anyone have something to eat? The rest of the group cheered, but Franklin shook her head. No, that's not good enough. I need to know what's causing the problem. Without blinking, she stabbed him in the arm with her multi-pen infusing his veins with clear mind serum and shocking him out of his state of tranquility. His stomach immediately churned, and even Gellin was shocked at the sounds that came out of Paul's mouth. After a brief verbal melee, he agreed to do the dust test, if it meant Franklin would help him find some food immediately after, and never stab him with that pen again. He bent forward to smell the coins. Flaring his outturned nostrils, he tentatively sniffed. Nothing. Relieved, he sniffed again, a bigger one this time, and still no reaction. Smells a smidge like a retired droid, but not too awful. Moving on, he bent down to smell the hand sanitizer. There's a smell there, he said, but it's nothing bad. Hmm. Franklin nodded, tapping away at her digi screen. Feeling a little relieved, Paul moved on and lowered his head towards the Game Boy, inhaling deeply. Franklin and Nick stepped back a little, already expecting the violent reaction that came. Paul immediately recoiled, so quickly in fact that he lost his balance and toppled to the floor. Holy flagoli, what is that gizmo? He screeched. Franklin turned to Nick with widened eyes. It seems our engineer's hypothesis was correct. So, Paul can smell dust? How's that even a thing? Gellin asked, a tinge of jealousy in his voice. That's what I'm going to find out. 
Franklin responded over her notes. Maybe dust levels have to do with the age of the object. She was frantically formulating equations with her left hand and scrolling with her right. Could his nose have changed to have organic versions of the dust receptors and dust detectors? Nick walked over to observe Franklin's analysis. Oh no, the detectors read energy levels. The smell is triggered by particles of matter. But what if something happens to enhance the sense enough so that different energy levels would register as different smells? Pleasant on one end of the spectrum and repulsive at the other. Nick reasoned, borrowing her hollow pen to write a possible equation of how energy level could translate to the smell scale. Realization washed over Franklin as she snatched back the hollow pen and frantically began writing. (gasps) Yes, of course. And smell is a survival sense. We are disgusted by potentially hazardous things. It's not a great leap of logic, given our obvious physical changes, that something could have further developed Paul's sense of smell like a chance mutation of evolution. Well, can this mutant get the fluke out of here and find something to eat? Paul protested. Fasco's stomach suddenly blurted out a series of hungry sounds. They all acknowledged that they really should get something to eat, but it was the middle of the night at this point. Nick reminded them that one of the diners on the street was open 24-7, per its sign. Together, they cautiously left the shop, leaving Floyd to guard things, and found their way to the diner. In the dark, no one questioned their appearance. Sitting down at a counter, one lonely fry cook shoved five menus their way and turned around to his griddle. After eating heaping amounts of what they learned were bacon, eggs, and pancakes, of which Fasco had seven, they turned to leave when the fry cook quizzed them on how they were going to pay for it all. Realizing that they had no earth currency, Nick negotiated for them to wash every single dish in the diner until Fasco's hands were sore from scrubbing. They waddled back to the tech shop and all passed out. To no one's surprise, Franklin awoke first in the morning and did more dust readings on objects, audibly stating her findings as Philosophlow identified each object. A Rubik's Cube, 25 specks. A mostly empty bottle of earth ale, 5 specks. When she hovered over a furry, mechanical creature that resembled a deranged psyche-likey, it suddenly opened its eyes and yelled at her in some gibberish that Philosophlow identified as furbish. Gellin heard this and rolled over against the glass case. He stared at the reflection of his green skin and the Furby in front of Franklin, and then asked her to please let them sleep for a few more minutes. Let's get on with our mission, she countered, clapping her hands to rouse the rest of the group. We need to find more dust. Ideally, a place with some information, too. The sports ball, or whatever it was called, had doubled the amount of dust as these items. She consulted Philosophlow and learned that some of the items she had tested this morning, along with the basketball, could be bought at an extremely generic-looking building called a shopping mall. The grumpy Flovens packed their equipment and set off toward the mall. Fasco pulled Floyd out of the closet full of cleaning supplies where they had put him so his whirling noises wouldn't keep them up all night. Nick followed them out, making sure the Game Boy from the dump was concealed in his back pocket. In the light of day, the town didn't seem as intimidating as the night before. They navigated block by block in a straight-line formation, taking up most of the sidewalk to the chagrin of the other commuters. Franklin was focused and spearheading the journey with her dust detector. Gellin flanked the group in a protective and vigilant stance. Fasco started to drift off of the tight formation as she couldn't help but feast her eyes on the strange architecture, customs, and inhabitants. Unfortunately, a businessman was headed in her general direction, also unaware of his surroundings, and he slammed straight into her. 
He looked up from his rectangular device and scoffed at her. <sighs> Fasco, eager to ingratiate herself in Earth culture, decided to copy this friendly greeting and scoffed back at him. <sighs> the man was completely taken aback. Franklin used this pause as a time to ask him if they were headed in the direction of the mall. The mall? He mocked them. I haven't stepped foot in a mall in ten years. Ever heard of Amazon? Before she could ask him what, according to her philosophy, a jungle in the Earth's southern hemisphere had to do with anything, the businessman was already stomping away. After the long journey to the mall, the Flovens rested on a concrete bumper in a parking lot to catch a break. Franklin wondered why Earthlings decided to space everything in their city so far away. It seemed incredibly inefficient. I can see now why everyone uses those cars. Fasco quipped. Speaking of that, where are all the cars? Gellin wondered. I assume they go in these spaces. There are ten times as many spaces as there are cars, though. Humans used to buy everything they needed here, Nick answered. But nowadays, I think they buy things from those phone gadgets like the man was holding. Phones, Fasco mused. Looked a little like the Game Boy Color from last night. So why was that man so angry? The inside of the mall was like sensory overload for the Flovens. They had all expected something like the retro gadget repair store, but this was unquestionably more fast. There were so many stores, stairs, signs, and sounds to take in. While questioning where to go first, Fasco spotted a flashing neon sign atop a kiosk, cordially inviting her to be nostalgic. That's the same name as the tech store. We should try there first. As they clumsily piled inside, Paul and Franklin's elbows briefly touched before they could pull them away, and Nick had to pry Floyd's boot-encased foot off his own. They were startled when the machine powered up and reflections of themselves peered back through a primitive hollow screen. Fasco giggled at the ridiculous bunch. Herself, various shades of purple with bulging yellow eyes, Franklin with minty green curls and striped orange skin, Paul's teal dreads, violent skin and a new nose, Lime Gellin with his large ex-eyes, Nick's bushy beard, and Floyd sporting a stiff mohawk. Their changes upon landing on Earth had given them the look of slightly different species. Everyone say, Flovatar! Nick instructed, and pushed a button under the screen. A light flashed, temporarily blinding them, and the Flovins were overtaken by the dazzling sight of stars. And in Paul's case, more smells. Uh, I need some alone time winced Paul, his eyes watering at the dust in the air while stumbling out of the photo booth. Don't follow me. Just leave me be. Everyone obeyed his wishes. Everyone except Floyd, who dutifully did not leave him be, and followed Paul down a busy corridor of the mall. Who wants to tell him? Franklin smiled at the group, who could barely contain their delight in the situation. It was short-lived happiness, however, as panic crept in when they tried to determine which way to go. This mall was enormous and filled with potential pitfalls and their assisted thought devices were still offline. The roof was as tall as the top of Flova Labs and any one of these shops could be full of dust or potentially trouble. The variety and differences were so new to them that they never imagined something so diverse could exist in one space. They came to the logical conclusion that in order to cover enough ground in a short time, they would need to split up. Nick volunteered to help Franklin, which left Fasco and Gellin as a pair. Fasco, you're a navigation officer, correct? Franklin affirmed. Perfect. Gellin, you can assist her. Assist? Gellin mocked, then realized she was serious. Nick chimed in. 
Make sure no one messes with her. The mall is filled with strange creatures, and I'm only just talking about the humans. Your green skin won't crack the top ten of weird things here. Ah, right. All right, Fasco kid, I'll watch out for you. Gellin called to Fasco, who was already wandering past the square kiosk full of ridiculous hats. Franklin immediately unholstered her dust detector and pointed it outward to follow when Nick put a gentle hand on her arm. Maybe we should be a little more covert with the Floven technology, hmm? Humans might mistake our advanced tech for something much worse. She lowered her orange hand. So what? Do you suppose we should just guess where the dust is? Use your reasoning skills. He encouraged. We know dust is in here somewhere. Where are the highest odds? How do you know so much about this mall anyway? She asked, trailing off when she spotted a group of five young adult humans moving together in a pack. They were as tall as they were heavy and moved similar to newborn likeys with jelly legs. Franklin zeroed in on their nearly identical sleeveless shirts. Each one had a different number in the corner with a familiar object underneath. Uh, that's the same dust-rich sphere that we found at the dump! She exclaimed, pointing at the basketball. She intensely tracked the group of lanky kids until they turned into a store like animals following biological instincts. The sign above the entrance displayed a basketball as well. Dying to pull out her dust detector, Franklin's hands fidgeted as a steady stream of people walked in and out automatic doors. Looking for Nick, she heard him whistle at her and wave, already halfway into this emporium of spheres, nets, clubs, and endless other objects that were either weapons or items humans used for sport. Nick led her to an entire metal case of pristine versions of the same lump that had set off her detector yesterday. Franklin, unable to contain her curiosity any longer, scanned the closest ball, and then another, and then another. They all came back with the same rating. Zero specs. Huh, that's odd. So it's not solely the object that matters with dust. It seems to be something about its use. Franklin mused, pulling out her dust extractor. Try to bounce it. Wow, you're going to steal the dust off things without buying them? We need to remember we're trying to get dust and get out of here. After last night, I'm gravely concerned about our safety in general on this planet. I won't tell anyone on Flova when I get back, though. Nick pulled a black and white ball off of a shelf and kicked it toward Franklin. Oh? How come? I'll be back to studying the chemistry of soft drinks again, like before. And because I'd rather eat a Likey's wing than admit that my mom was right. She said, kicking it back at him with full force. Nick paused and took the brunt of the ball right in the stomach. <gasps> Franklin ran to his side making sure he hadn't been injured. So, your mom felt this mission was too dangerous for you? Oh, she had strong feelings, like always. She's so risk-averse. She always thinks something is going to go wrong. Typical scientist. Nothing has ever gone wrong in her life, but there's always data saying there's a .005% chance that- She was interrupted by an Earth girl yelling, Cool costume! And grabbing a basketball from the bin. Dribbling it a few times, she took a fake step left, and shot it dead center into a pile of long socks. It looked like a move that the girl had watched many, many times on television. Test that one now, Nick said, watching the young girl run back to her parents. Franklin read the basketball again. It had two specks of dust. She read the black and white ball. Also two specks. Now we're getting somewhere, she said, cradling the ball under her shoulder. When she flipped on her philosophy to learn more, the Avatar immediately argued back and forth with itself about the name of the object. It continued to change its speaking accent and kept shouting variations of Football. No, it's a soccer ball. 
foot, foot, football. You kick it with your feet. This thing is getting a little buggy, she remarked. In a darker corner of the colossal building, Paul meandered down a hallway where the dust smell seemed to be less intense. He was enjoying the vacant storefronts and lack of people. He needed a place without wandering eyes to enjoy some pineapple dreams. While stopping to admire a rusted bench decorated with sticky, colorful lumps, he heard a noise and whipped around. Floyd was marching twenty paces behind him, his mechanical legs taking even steps. Flork, he thought, the worst possible floven to be around when trying to relax. He eyed a sign that said, Bathroom, which he noted would make an excellent dive bar name if he ever made it back to Flova. When he slipped inside, he was disappointed to learn there were no baths. Nevertheless, it would be a great spot to re-up, and he lit his glass artifact once again, taking a short puff. The leaves were dwindling, nearly gone, and he'd need to find more before the end of the day. In the middle of his third puff, the door swung open and a giant human thumb in a uniform trudged toward the stall. Upon further examination, Paul realized it was just a man. His white, collared shirt was hanging on for dear life, one or two broken threads from ripping off entirely. If Officer Gask was human, Baldy here would be his twin brother. Paul pocketed his glass treasure and sauntered toward the exit. Aren't you going to wash your hands? inquired Earth Gask. He peered suspiciously at the object in Paul's pocket and sniffed the air. His hand hovered toward a black communication device pinned on his shirt. Before he could relay whatever message, Paul had been in trouble on Flova enough times to know this wouldn't be good for him. Floyd burst robotically through the door. Floyd's eyes fixed on Paul, and he droned. There you are. I've found you now. All units, stand by. 